Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson. They fought their way through the snow to be here this morning. Gentlemen, how are you? I liked your text. You said uh, you guys can pull up in the driveway. It's no problem. It was something kind of like that, and it was telling us we could, but I also thought kind of a statement of, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I've, I been, I've been out all morning <laughs> shoveling. Here, here's the thing about that. I, I wasn't. Someone someone took care of it for me. So it wasn't I, I didn't ask for it. I I saw it. I received it, you know. And so I felt like I needed to to pay it forward a little bit. I don't know if you saw that wonderful Kevin Spacey, mm-hmm. Haley Joel Osment. Oh yeah, pay it forward. Uh <laughs> Helen what was her name? Helen, Helen Hunt? Hunt? Yeah. Twister. Movie. Yeah. So Mad about you. <laughs> Mad about you. Paul Reiser. I watched like two minutes of every Mad About You episode because I'm pretty sure it came on after The Simpsons, and I never made it past the two minutes. I believe Mad About You was on NBC, wasn't it? Yeah, that was like a they were riding Seinfeld's coattails. I believe. Were they? Yeah. It was part yeah. of their Thursday night lineup. They were part of the Fox syndicated shows that ran at like five thirty in the uh, the afternoon during most of my childhood. And you got a little bit of Frasier in there too. Uh, no, a lot of Friends, a lot of. Uh, a lot of mad about you. I don't know. Fox's business strategy was just to buy the successful NBC syndicate shows, I think, for the most part. You think about how cocky Seinfeld got after they really got rolling. They actually had the episode where George is stuck with, uh, what was his what was his fiance's name? Susan. 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 And they're watching Mad About You, and George feels like he's trapped watching Mad About You. So they're basically mocking another show on their network. <laughs> That's how that's how much Larry David was flexing right then. Well, I mean, I think you get to when you basically yeah. get to run the network at that time. Yeah. Do do we want to just keep talking Seinfeld? Because I'm okay with that. We could just have a Seinfeld podcast and then come back and have a have a Nebraska one. I'd feel badly because we actually have stuff to talk about. Do this, we? This week. Okay. We do. All right. We well, sat at round tables. Yes, we did. We did sit at round tables. We we got to spend. A lot of time over at Memorial Stadium. A lot of good time over at Memorial Stadium. A lot of interesting things. Do you want to start with players, Frost, or the assistant coaches? Let's uh, let's start with uh, assistant coaches. Okay. How about that? All right. Well, you you drew the circus assignment where there was yeah. no less than 37 people surrounding Nebraska's new defensive line coach, which might have been more people than were in the stands at any one point in time during a Cal game. It was not asked if that was true, but I, I think he was thinking it as he looked around. So what did you learn from Coach Tony Tuioti? Tuioti. Tuioti? Tuioti. Tuioti. All right. He, uh, well, everybody always says he won the press conference, but I, I was curious, like, how would he handle I was hoping you were going to say he didn't. Yeah. I was unimpressed. He, did, he didn't win the press conference. <laughs> he was a downer. Um, no, he – I was interested, though, how – a guy like that handles his first uh, gathering where he's got like seven cameras pointed at him because it's always a new experience for a coach like that. And he really didn't seem phased by it. And I can see why he's such a good connector uh, with recruits. And I think the thing we probably even haven't talked about enough, although I did write a story about it yesterday, was his time at Michigan, um, besides just getting a feel for Big Ten football, he was part of that recruiting swarm, that summer swarm with Harbaugh that irked the heck out of everybody and where they did like 40 camps in 30 days. And he had to like 
help put that together and strategize that as Michael Bruns puts on an Arizona Cardinals hat for some reason across. What are you, the number one pick of the draft? (laughs) Yeah. This is my podcasting hat. It's always in the bag. I just took it out. I like how he just started getting ready for pro day. I don't know what's happening right now. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to think you're. They're gonna think you're a, a I'm gonna, scout. Over I'm gonna there. see if I can go to pro day wearing this hat and see if anybody notices. They'll be like, "Oh yeah, come on down." Hey, like, Antonio hey. Reed, we got a spot for you. Hey, you guys taking Murray? Uh, you wander out onto the field and you start like put the cones out, like you're yeah. gonna create a drill just, for him. Just do like the guy that's pointing and making guys run different directions. <laughs> you're just watching the movement. Just so people understand, it is Nebraska's pro day as we're. In an hour or so after yeah. we finish this. I just want Tanner Farmer to do like 80 <laughs> yards and a backpedal just to see how he runs. And Bruns just pulled out of his backpack an Arizona Cardinals hat. Sorry. no, He needs a windbreaker, though. <laughs> Those guys always have like a Sports Illustrated type or windbreaker. Medium polo. You got a clipboard? I can take. A I clipboard. have a clipboard. Okay. Legitimately, like a school stopwatch, too. I don't have one of those. Okay, this is gonna get our outlet kicked out of uh, everything. (laughs) Sorry, you're Tony Tioti. Anyway, Tony Tioti, great guy, (laughs) just great guy. Summer Swarm. (laughs) Yeah, no, he 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 had to put that stuff all together and work with Harbaugh, and um, he always wanted to be position coach he was always going to be one that was just like a brief stop kind of in between things for him he had been with the browns the head coach there got fired and so that he was looking for something to do he kind of wanted to get the michigan flavor see what that was all about but i think that really helped him and the other thing i guess i picked up was him i said what was the thing when you interviewed that you talked about the most like where did you feel like you won the interview because they said they talked to a lot of guys and he was by far the best and he said he just stressed run defense like most. I mean, that was what he talked about the whole time, and I'm sure it was more than just run defense. <laughs> I got a big idea here. He just writes it on the board. Stop the run. <laughs> no, I think he had some like specifics to that, but that was, that was what he really got into. And when you look at Nebraska's numbers last year, they ranked 107th in yards per attempt allowed. And uh, Cal, although different conference, not Big Ten, you know, big boys they finished 24th in that stat so he comes in with some good numbers in that respect yeah i um i thought that it was just interesting watching everyone surrounding him and i know that i've been curious just kind of reading the stuff that you were writing about the recruiting more than anything for for me and that michigan thing i wouldn't uh and i would not underplay how important that probably is to just be in that environment because he he had been recruiting before obviously when he was at Hawaii and it's just a little bit different though when you're in the Big Ten and you're at a place like Michigan I, I think that that probably helped him be a little more prepared for what he was about to face when he walked in on Tuesday uh, because he'd been to a place that there's a ton of fervor about even the smallest minute thing so a new defensive line coach I think he could certainly understand why he was going to be the focal point of attention during those 30 minutes. When he was hired, I mean, people are on our board knew this pretty soon after that he, it was mentioned that he was a guy who recruited Ty Robinson pretty heavily while he was at Cal. I thought it said a lot about him too that, and just kind of how he, how specific he gets about things that when Ty Robinson came on an unofficial there, an unofficial, he had 250 cut-ups for him to watch about like D-line play and, 
they like went through it for about almost an hour and Ty Robinson wanted to go through more with him later. I, I just, I think that of all the things I heard at the table, I was like, that's pretty telling when a four star recruit like wants to study more with this coach and all he didn't ultimately pick them, but now they get to be together and see how that, how it takes off. I was talking to Eric Chenander about kind of the, the process, the hiring process that they went through with that job and, he was, I mean, as you said, they talked to a ton of people. Um, he said they did. He, he said he didn't even know how many phone interviews with guys. And, you know, they, they were in a position where, you know, I, I think that that was a pretty attractive job because, frankly, there's not a lot of openings right now. Um, I, I think that, you know, the, the sense is nationally that there's momentum at Nebraska. And I, I think that, you know, Scott Frost said this for sure, but I, I think the fact that Tuioti had – worked with Justin Wilcox, had worked with Tim DeRuiter. I think they were eager to kind of see, you know, or, or to bring in that kind of experience to add a little bit more to that 3-4 that discussion. Um, I, I think Eric Chenander said they had four or five guys on campus who actually interviewed, but uh, that, that it was Tuioti that, you know, because of, you know, what he's done and, and kind of his personality and fit, but also the, the recommendations that he had from people that, that Eric Shenander really trusted. I, I think that kind of sealed the deal for him. And he said that, you know, that he's already brought some ideas to the table in the short time that he's been at Nebraska that have kind of, I guess, enriched what, what they're trying to do defensively. So, I mean, having that kind of outside voice, but one that has some experience in the three, four, I think will also be really key for the on-field stuff. Did Shenander get into how involved he was in this process? Yeah. I mean, he was, it was basically him and Scott Frost. So, um, you know, I, I think that they cast a pretty wide net and he said that, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you make a hire, you, you, you go to kind of who you're comfortable with. And he said that, you know, that, that there was, Obviously, some people that Scott Frost and, and Eric Chenander had worked with in their past that you know they felt comfortable with, but maybe wasn't the right perfect fit. And I know that we talked about you know guys like Jerry Montgomery and names like that that you know had some pretty strong connections, but it seemed like you know Nebraska really kind of did their due diligence in making sure that they talked to a ton of people and, and made the right hire for at least you know what they felt is the right hire. I think that speaks volumes to me that Frost allows his defensive coordinator to be that heavily involved. Like, I just think it, it shows a level of trust that he has in, in Shenander. It, to me, it shows me that there's no concern that Shenander's going anywhere for a while. Like, I, I, I knew all of those things, or I felt like I knew all of those things, but this is just, like, another big piece of it to me. And I think that's a really good sign for the program, in all honesty. It's... I, I don't think that people really get sometimes, um, you know, how how much latitude Shenander has with the defense. I mean, Scott Frost doesn't punt on defense, but it's very much like this is your side of the ball. Do what you're going to do over there. And, and it's trust, I think. It's, Keep an eye on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, Frost has the experience of coaching defense too, but, I mean, I, I think he very much – kind of skews more towards the offensive side of the ball. And, I mean, that's why, you know, I, I think Eric Chenander was – you don't want to say that he was, you know, on equal footing with Frost in making that that decision, but I think there was a lot of input that went into that. 
How about you, Schaefer? Who do, who do you talk to? I forget. And what do you uh, pick up? Well, one of them is Travis Fisher. But Yeah, Travis Fisher and Troy Walters. I'll stick with Fisher here as we'll just kind of cover the defense and then move over to the other side of the ball. I think, I mean, going into this spring, I kind of felt this way anyways, but the strength of Nebraska's defense to me very much lies in its secondary. Even though you're replacing multiple safeties, Fisher feels very good about Deontay Williams. I just ran a story at Husker 24-7 about Deontay Williams, and Fisher said to me, I was the one that asked the question, he basically said that Williams was good enough he could have started him from day one last spring. And good enough athletically is what he means. He still had a lot to learn. He had a lot that he had to get better at. He had to understand and, and learn how to play at the D1 level. But athletically, to Fisher, there's no one close to the level that Deontay Williams was. So for him, the way he was going to get value out of Williams was to have him soak up and learn as much as he could from Aaron Williams, from Antonio Reed, from Trey Neal about the nuances of playing safety at a school like this about, you know, how to learn how to be a, a D1 player because he, he had no qualms that he could put him in in different situations. So then when he had all these different safeties, what he was able to do is mix and match when he was going to put in someone like Deontay Williams in. So throughout the course of the season, he could get experience in different ways, in different parts of the game, doing different things, so that now he's kind of the guy that everyone else in that safety room can learn from and be modeled after in a way. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, in some of these situations, you're going to get a coach here that's just going to plug in his guy right away. He's just going to put in Deontay Williams and Antonio Reed and Aaron Williams are just out. And, and you know, there's, there's always the argument to be made that maybe Williams gets better by having all of the reps. But I kind of like the way that Fisher broke down his explanation for what he was doing. And it, it's interesting to me because he wants four – to six safeties to be able to play for him at any point in the game. Like, that's incredible depth. I don't know if they're going to get to that right away this year. But he really likes his young guys. He likes Williams a lot. He's got Markell. And then beyond that, you have Cameron Jones. You have C.J. Smith when he gets healthy. You have those freshmen coming in and Quentin Newsom, Miles Farmer, Noah Pola Gates. He really likes his young guys. He thinks that Cameron Jones can make a big step in his game. He's doing what he needs to do. When he's around on the field, he needs him to get better in the classroom, the board work, that kind of thing. And so he's pretty optimistic about his guys on the back end. And then, of course, his corners, in addition to you know all of those guys that I mentioned at safety, Camp Taylor could also spend some time there. He really likes his corners, too. He's got DiCaprio on one side, Lamar on the other. Braxton learning, Cam Taylor going to be involved. Noah Pola Gates could have a role. Javen Wright could have a role. Eric Lee, Avery Anderson giving some depth. On the back end, he seemed like a guy from last year who didn't like his room at all because he was inheriting the smallest group. I mean, he just had the most question marks. And now he's got a lot of people that he's pretty interested in going through this spring. Well, that group underwent an attitude change, it sounds like. I mean, Scott Frost has brought this up a few times just how last year they were the group you didn't really want to work with. And now in the winter, Zach Duvall and them like that that bunch the best so that's quite a quite a 180 I, I think it speaks to Fisher though I mean basically came in and and laid it out there to people whether it was Lamar Jackson or, or people that have now graduated like you got this opportunity I'm not going to play you just because you think you're more talented than other people just because you might be more athletic than other people 
you're going to have to prove to me that you deserve to be on the field. And the way that you know, Lamar Jackson specifically talked about, he referred to him as a pancake. That he had to he had to flip him a little bit. That you know he was bubbling and wasn't cooked on one side, and had to put some more oil in the pan and yeah. and get that thing done. So it was uh, it was a really interesting conversation. I think that Travis Fisher is one of those coaches that Nebraska is pretty fortunate chose to come leave UCF where he had a stock DB room. I mean, he left a stock situation to come and try to rebuild something at Nebraska. And I don't know if he gets enough credit for that in the moment, especially what he left at UCF, which was his alma mater. Mm -hmm. And there's no question he's had other opportunities, but he said very plainly on Tuesday, I'm where I want to be when I'm there. And he has no interest right now of being anywhere else. And when he does have interest of being somewhere else, people will know about it at that time. Continuity helps, though. I mean, in, in that room, finally. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's that, that that to me is you know Travis Fisher's done great things, but you know just having the same guy um, for more than a season is probably huge for that group in particular. Because I mean, guys like Eric Lee, how many different coaches have they had during their time at Nebraska? Recruited I mean, by one, coached by four others. Yeah, I mean, it's just having that same voice is probably big for that group's development and it'll be i'm curious to see what those young guys coming in how many of them get on the field because i I could see you know multiple guys especially safety because they they need the bodies they want to use he wants to use the four game thing even more than what he did last year and i think he's going to be a little bit more comfortable doing that with the guys he has coming in and and the depth that he's built and anything else from the defensive coaches uh, well, JoJo Doman's always kind of a topic of discussion, it seems mm-hmm. like, and, you know, for good reason. But it sounds like as much as he's going to be split, it's much more going to be heavy towards the outside linebacker portion of things. Eric Chenander said he's up to 230, 235 pounds and, you know, was full go in workouts, was, you know, eating like crazy in the off season, And, you know, he, he's a guy that Scott Frost always points out. He's, you know, th- this has kind of been the kind of book on Doman since he's been in high school even, that the kid makes plays. Like, he's just a football smart kid. And he was one of the few guys on defense last year that really kind of ran with his opportunities when he had it. And I think that, you know, he's going to be much more than just a situational player this year, especially with more weight on. I mean, he's big enough that, that he can can hold his own, I think, on the outside uh, against the run. And I, I think that his ability to cover in space is, you know, really kind of sets him apart for, for that group. I mean, when you go through you know, Ty Ferguson, Alex Davis, Caleb Tanner, a lot of those outside guys, their issue is, is that they struggle to play in space. And I think that that's one thing that Doman really brings to that group. And you, you hear the way that the coaches talk about him, and I think he's going to have a huge role on this defense in the fall. I probably have way too high of expectations for two guys who haven't done that much, honestly, in Doman and Ferguson. Like, for whatever reason, I really think those guys could be something really good this year. Um, for Doman, to me, it's just a simple staying healthy. I, I think like it feels like every time he's actually been on the field, something good happens. I mean, he's 
it, not just the Ohio State game. I think he forced a turnover in the Minnesota game or one of those. You know, he was kind of on a roll taking the ball away. Even when he was uh, a true freshman working on special teams, he was involved in, like, the the fumble and the Music City Bowl that kind of got Nebraska back into the game on kick coverage. I mean, he's just kind of one of those yeah. guys. Don't forget that this was a guy in that spring that uh, Mike Riley was super excited about. Oh, yeah. They I mean, they – the the previous staff say what you will about him, but they recognized JoJo Doman's talent and his unique ability pretty early on. They had a lot of hopes for what he could do before he tore his ACL. The late Bob Elliott, who I think was very good football coach, his resume spoke for itself. Thought he was something like he would just talk glowingly about Doman and how much he knew about football. So I mean, I always thought that said a lot coming from that guy. You guys talking anybody else? Defend? I'm trying to think who who else is left. Well, Dewitt wasn't there. Rude. Um, I wasn't over for. I don't know if you guys circled over there. Uh, we can get into inside linebackers a little bit more with the players. Do we want to jump offense now? Sure. I had Troy Walters. Um, he said that he first spring meeting walked into his room and asked which of his guys had made plays at the college level. J.D. Spielman was the only one that could raise his hand. Uh, and then he used that point to illustrate that there's a lot of opportunity in his wide receiver. Did Spielman actually just raise his hand right away? Like, uh, I think it was probably more of a sheepish thing. But yeah. uh, one of the things, it, it, sticking on Spielman, one of the things that Troy Walters wants to work with him on is being more vocal in both talking with the media. He wants them to do that more. Mm. He wants them to talk with his teammates more. And so, in a weird way, what they're working with JD's Spielman in the off season is to pull a little bit more out of him uh, from a vocal sense because they have a big void without Stanley Morgan, and Walters knows it, and he knows that Spielman has the respect of his teammates for what he does and how mm-hmm. he goes about doing things, but he also wants that vocal component to be involved too. On that point. There was a comment Frost made. I think it was in the middle of last year, and it kind of got lost a little bit. But I, it always stuck out to me. He talked about how in like August with JD, they like during practices. I'm not saying he wasn't showing up, but he said something like he wasn't doing a lot, making a lot of plays, and they sort of wondered, like, is this the guy we thought he was? I mean, that was the gist of it. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting, that a guy with his talents. Like, on August 20th, the coaches weren't exactly sure. Who's <laughs> ex- this guy? Exactly what they had in him. And then he, the game started. It's like, oh, yeah, he can ball. So I, I think that kind of connects probably to what Walters is talking about. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that it does. That wide receiver room is, is just going to be fascinating. I mean, we're going to talk about it all the way up until the season, and then we're going to get the opportunity to see what they can do. Walters didn't shy away at all from any Wandale Robinson hype. I mean, so when you say things along the lines of, yeah, the guy already knows the playbook for us. He already knows it. He learned it. He knows exactly where he needs to be, what he's supposed to do. It tells you that Wandale's working at a different capacity than a lot of people. Um, I think mentally he's even more gifted than what we probably get the chance to discuss because there's really not a lot of chances or, or ways that you can find that out, but you have Walter sitting here talking to you about how this freshman who's been on campus for several months already knows what he's supposed to be doing in almost every situation in the role that they gave and that he's asking for more and that he wants more and that his options and his opportunities are going to open up because he's already learned this aspect of it 
that they can keep feeding him even more. And so I think if there's a reason beyond just the physical traits and the, the high school stats and the highlights, it's that Wondell Robinson is, as Walters called it, the complete package. I mean, I think he's a coach's dream player. Walters was just gushing about him. And then someone asked about Rondale Moore, and in my head I'm cringing like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And he's like, yeah, I think he can be our Rondale Moore. I think he's better than Rondale Moore. <laughs> well, he didn't say that, but Rondale who? Um, you know, so I, he stopped short of saying he's going to be the Big Ten newcomer of the year or a freshman All-American. But the the hype is real and the hope is high for Wondell Robinson. I kind of like that about this staff. They, they will, do not shy away from They did things. all fall camp with Maurice Washington. They they were pretty much that way with Adrian after a few games, too. Yeah. Um, Jurgens. I mean, Frost said it. Yeah. He's, <laughs> the best center that's never snapped. Yeah. So far, we don't know on Jurgens yet, but on – well, we don't know with Robinson either, but on two of them, he's <laughs> – the the two we can judge so far where they've really jumped in on the train, it's been right, so you'd have to say. It makes Maurice. you feel good about the other two yeah, is what I, you're saying? Yeah, they've got a good track record at this point in their hype. Uh, they compared Cam Jurgens to Dave Remington. Well, that's a tough one. It's going to be – Like two weeks in. <laughs> that's a challenge. It's sort of like when we so do – So is that, is that a bigger shock to your system than the Wandale-Rondale thing? I, I actually, when – I think it was Greg Austin said that, I said, excuse me? <laughs> Sir. That's Dave Remington you're talking about. <laughs> what? It was like right, record scratch in the background. That's former interim athletic director Dave Remington you speak of. Did Austin <laughs> just turn around and point to his name up on the that guy? <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah, that 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 one was the one that uh, I've been like, oh, okay. It's sort of like when you put a crystal ball out there for a a real you know tough one where it's not a an easy pick you know back like nine months before signing day. That's what that's what that is. And everybody wants to know what you got. Yeah. You just got to wait for it to play out. Just turn around and point. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, that doesn't always work, as we've seen in other places. Yes. But what about you guys? What uh, what did you learn on offense? Brunch, you were with Ryan Held. And Mario Verduzco. And Mario Verduzco. Did he explain what was going on in that photo? No, he didn't. I didn't ask. (laughs) Uh, It was a a wild ride with the both of them. Um, Those are very interesting, yeah. talkative individuals. So we talked last week about the Adrian Martinez conversation of what what can he do in the spring to improve his game? And basically where they're at with Adrian Martinez is it is about footwork. It's small, little, detailed-type changes that they're trying to commit to not muscle memory, um, but they are trying to... He doesn't it, believe in muscle memory. No, right. Uh, make it routine. And they're starting to add more to his play. Because he, he pointed this out, and I think it's true, that when you have a young quarterback, you can run the risk of overloading a guy with fix this, fix that, think about this, think about that, learn the offense, be a leader, all these other things. And they're really emphasizing checkdowns, um, they're really emphasizing um, the, the footwork aspect of it. And, and you have to remember, I mean, Adrian Martinez compete, completed, what, 64% mm-hmm. of his passes last year, uh, which was second in, in program history. Somebody asked, you know, what, what's – okay, when you have these changes that you're making, what's what's the progression to the field? Like how, how – what percentage is that going to increase his 
completion percentage. He said 5%. And when you're talking about getting close to 70%, you're getting into like McKenzie Milton territory, getting into pretty elite quarterback territory there. And, you know, they're emphasizing, you know, the check down to, to convert one more third down. And that's what they're focusing on with him. And, and that's, you're not going to see the results of that in spring ball. But when you're in the middle of October, late in a game, that's where you're going to see those types of things change in his game. So that that's where he's at. They love Luke McCaffrey. Uh, they have really been impressed with his approach, not only as uh, the, the kind of classroom side of it and learning the offense, but also just what kind of a quarterback he is. And, and he's kind of the same way where he's got things to, to clean up. They know that they're going to work on that, but they feel like I, I think the kind of, narrative around him was it was going to take him a long time to kind of get up to speed as a quarterback and I I think the learning curve is is not quite as steep for him um, that that he's got to go through to to get to where Nebraska feels comfortable with him potentially being on the field do you think that's partially because for now he's just locked into a position and he's never been that way he had to play wide receiver kick returner running back quarterback in high school i mean i asked that and i said well you know this is a guy that hasn't started a lot i mean you know do you you have to work with him a ton to get him up to speed and they said you know no we we've been pretty impressed with the way he came in um and and, you know they said that you know that there's some things that all high school quarterbacks have that you kind of have to beat the bad habits out of them but I, i think that you know that scott frost name checked him unprompted uh with having a really strong first day so um I think that was, you know, pretty interesting to me because I think, you know, we'd even discussed that it was pretty much going to be probably Noah Vedrill's job as the backup. And I think he still has the leg up there, but I think Luke McCaffrey is going to make it a little bit closer than uh, what people expected. Yeah, and that that four-game rule is a beauty for a guy like him maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could you can get him some snaps here and there possibly, especially if you could get a lead in a few games and – It'll be a great experience for him. The thing that told me so much about him was just the fact that he came here. I mean, right away, that tells me something about that guy's mentality that you see Adrian Martinez, who just lit it up as a true freshman. You're like, no, I'm I'm sticking with that, you know, and that that that's a competitor right there. Yeah. And it, that that was kind of the main the two main takeaways from Verduzco. I kind of really wanted to get that question answered about Martinez because I, I think that that's everybody's like, okay, it's his job, great. But I mean, the, these guys have a history of kind of turning guys around pretty quickly from their, their mm-hmm. freshman to sophomore years, and that's kind of where Adrian's at right now. Well, and it's a little bit more of a interesting thing to discuss than figuring out how he's going to handle the Heisman hype, which I imagine was asked multiple times. Yeah, well, I mean, the leadership question is part of it too and, and they're really emphasizing that with him but I, I think something a little bit more from the tangible. outside looking in I don't think that would be that big of an issue or a jump for him right wouldn't think so I mean I, I don't know how vocal he is around guys I right. think he's pretty measured generally but um, I, I don't I don't think that there's probably too many guys on that team that don't look that look at Adrian Martinez they probably look at him and say like that's the guy that's the leader yeah. so I think he could have been that in September last year. I think he had that way where guys are just like, yeah, that that dude has it. You know? I think he was that way in August when yeah. the alleged competition was going on. I, guys know who's more talented, and they're going to gravitate towards that. Like I, These 
locker room schisms don't happen as often as I think they get broadcasted about. Um, what about Ryan Help? What about running backs? They got an interesting spring ahead of them. Oh, Mar- did we get clarity on the Maurice Washington situation and how much he's going to practice? It was addressed. I don't. I don't know that we actually got a. I don't think there was any clarity given. So. Maurice Washington may practice some days, may not practice some days. You've got a running back room that right now is essentially Maurice Washington, Wyatt Mazur, Jalen Bradley's in that mix. You've got some walk-ons behind them as well. And you've got a boatload of guys, one you know, probably in Georgia or Kansas. I don't know where Dedrick Mills is right now. Uh, one in New Jersey and, and one in Georgia in, that, in Ronald Tompkins that are going to have something to say when they get here in the fall and you know I, I Ryan Held didn't really say this but you know kind of implied it pretty heavily I think that um, it's make or break spring for a lot of those guys because they got some dudes that they really like coming in in the fall who are going to help them right away and guys like Jalen Bradley um, Missouri too you know you've got to put some distance I think between you and those guys who are coming in because they really really like uh the potential that they have and I, I like held said I mean that that room is going to be completely different on August 1st and you know you've got guys like Bradley that need to kind of take a step forward and be counted or you're going to get left behind I think held said you know about Bradley because people wonder I think he said that he had some off the field things he was dealing with and People need to understand that, too. There's a whole another thing going on with guys sometimes beyond just the football part of it. But the good thing about him that I've heard and seen is that he really showed up, like, ready. I mean, he's, like, in great shape. He looks leaner, supposedly faster. So he's at least going to he, – he knows what's on the line, and at least he's, 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 he's you know, showing up with the body to try to do it. So – you know, that's a good thing. He's one of those guys people are going to watch all the way until it's said that he's not going to be a part of this program playing key snaps because of what he did at Bellevue West, one of the best high school running backs, if not the best we've ever seen in the state. So that there's a fascination about him there. I, I'm i very curious, you know, where he's going to end up, more so the fall than the spring, uh, because that's going to be the, the ultimate measure of this is he'd have a great spring. But they really like, as you said, the guys that have coming in, and they like Maurice Washington a lot. If that situation's resolved, they've got the people coming in. I just don't, I don't know if there's going to be enough room for him unless he really has a big, big spring. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if that's an attitude thing. I don't know if that's a show up every day and be consistent thing. Um, it's hard to to determine what it is exactly that someone like Jalen Bradley has to do to stay in the picture. Because he's just sort of on the fringes right now. The guy, if I were him, I'd want to saddle up to, even though he's doing his own thing, is Ozigbo. I'd I'd want to pick his brain and. It sounds like a similar situation, like just yeah. in terms of like what they have to prove. I mean, last year Ozigbo at this time we weren't talking about him. I mean, we didn't. He was one of those afterthoughts, and so waiting on Greg Bell to come in. Yeah. So I, I think you know Bradley can look at that example and say, well, at least this staff has shown that if a guy who isn't one of their recruits but he he puts up in practice and just keeps going he they're they're not going to turn their head on that 
Well, you've got you've got Miles Jones too, and, and Wandale Robinson, who are also working a little bit at running back. Um, so, I mean, they've got the bodies there, but uh, I think the cavalry's rolling in in, in uh, June. All right, now we're on to the offensive line, where the picture is clear as mud, right, Brian? Well, I think Greg Austin slowed down some chatter. There's a thought. There was a thought like, okay, they just moved Farniak to right guard. Maybe a senior like Christian Gaylord or something takes over at right tackle. And Gaylord's got work to do. I mean, that's just the candid part of it. He's 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 not there yet. It'd be a great story if he does put in the work and becomes that guy because they would like to move Farniak inside. There's no question after talking to Greg Austin that that's what they hope for. But he is not going to sacrifice – um, much at right tackle just to make that move. And so it's either got to be a veteran like Gaylord. I don't know. as He didn't bring up anybody else. Um, or a newcomer like Ben Hart, uh, which is possible, but asking a lot of a young guy, you know, to, to do it in a limited time. So um, at this moment, the guy I would really watch, and we put this on our board, is Trent Hickson. Um, walk on from Omaha Scott. I'd watch him at right guard. I think he's very much in position, at least starting spring, to be a starter on this O line. Uh, center is just wide open, as everybody guessed. You've basically got four guys there who are taking snaps Hunter Miller, Cameron Jurgens, uh, who's limited this spring, Will Farniok. And A.J. Forbes out of Bellevue West, another walk-on who Austin has liked, kind of has a good early impression of, but needs to see what he can do as a football player now. So those are the four at center. And then you probably got Bo Wilson at left guard, I think, and Hymas at left tackle. The leader of the room, and this was interesting, because I think there's, and I've been guilty of this, there's kind of this thought that Hymas is the guy, at, you know, because he's left tackle and stuff. But the actual leader right now of that room's Farniak, Matt Farniak. Yeah, that surprised me. Frost said that, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, when he was he talking about leaders, the leader of the offensive line, he said Matt Farniak. Yeah. That and, surprised me too because he's not someone I necessarily thought of in that role. Um, and I would have thought, like you did too, that Hymas with more playing time might have just gravitated towards that. But that's interesting. Austin really likes just everything about how Farniak goes about his work and his versatility. He likes Bo Wilson, too. I mean, I think he thinks a lot of, of his work ethic and what he's going to become. Brandon Hymas, I got the sense there's a challenge there. Like, I think he knows how great he could be and the, the potential, but it's kind of like it's where you're kind of pushing a guy, you know, like we, we need more out of you as a leader type of thing and – in different avenues, not just on the field, but in all these different parts that connect to the program. And so uh, big off season for Hymas because you could argue he's got the second most important position on the field behind Adrian. Protecting Adrian? Yeah. Uh, he has to protect our our wonder boy at quarterback <laughs> there. Do you – Joe Hymas was your number two most indispensable Husker last year? I just Googled that. Probably right up there again. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I, I think that's a still fair. You know who he screwed on that list last year? Mo Berry. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't he even know. He wasn't if, even on there? Yeah, that's a, that was an embarrassing one for us, <laughs> I think. But 
Uh, I think I had Mo Berry on mine. You might have, but in our total vote system. I didn't have him very high. I know yeah. that. Um, and so I, I was going to ask this because you were talking about how it was sort of a challenge to Hymas. Do you remember a previous staffs kind of doing this as publicly as Nebraska has, just talking about trying to make them better leaders? Create Like with, with Spielman, with Hymas, with guys that – you know, might be more comfortable being in their shell a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I don't recall previous staffs. I mean, everybody talks about leadership. Like, that's not a thing. Yeah, that's boring. But you're, what you're talking about is interesting. It's actually that They're trying to guys. cultivate and teach it in a way, or at least they're talking about that publicly. I don't recall people doing that in the past. Well, not not really talking about specific guys so much where it, right that and that's where i kind of my ears perk up because you learn i mean that's that's a lesson because we write all this stuff you know trying to get to the spring or fall camp and you kind of have to go off some of just who plays the best or is at important positions and so hymas is like oh yeah he's the you know the ringleader of the o-line and then you actually talk to the guy who runs the show and he says, ah, it's Farniok who's the guy. If we can get these other guys like Farniok, then we really got something going. So um, by no means is he – I want to be clear. Like, he, he really likes his room. Like, he loves the personalities he has in among the O-linemen, and Hymas included. But it, it was just – there was a challenge, I think, in there, and I, I'm sure he says it to him every day. I think those guys are pretty candid. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking about the same thing with Walters and Spielman, yeah. where it's like you've got a talented guy and you want him to evolve beyond just being a talented individual on your team. You want him to develop and grow in other aspects of his life. I mean, that's just a – it's interesting. It's something that I don't recall hearing from other coaches in this sort of specific player instance. I get, so the, I guess the takeaway is – to me, if I were to name one guy that stood out, it was Hickson. I he talked he loves Hickson. Uh, and Hickson's kind of been that guy you've heard about, well, maybe he's gonna step in here and there, but then people forget about him and for fair reason they'll wanna bring up like John Raritan or something and not that it's over for those guys, but Hickson, uh Hickson's right there starting the spring, so someone's gonna have to beat him out. All right. Well, that was the assistant coaches, which seemed like that took up the bulk of the show. What do we want to do for Scott Frost? Anything that we didn't get into that the assistants touched on? Any other remarks from Frost that we want to cover here? I didn't think there was much that didn't get mentioned. There wasn't too much that he said that was particularly surprising, I didn't feel like. I mean, it's first practice of spring. Everybody's in their best shape. I mean, it... It seems to me from listening to, and this is kind of, I guess, a a bigger question too with with Nebraska's defense, but they really do view the steps that this team can take in year two as a strength and conditioning problem, right? Like, they really trust Zach Duvall. You you go back to Frost's comments after the Iowa game about, you know, how the other teams were bigger and stronger than they were. There's... Much of the work, I, I feel like, that, that's going to you know, help Nebraska in 2019 take that step, big step forward is, is going to be in that weight room. And I, I think they feel confident 
especially offensively, that they're going to be fine um, in, in terms of scheme and everything else. But uh, it, it just seems like it's it's being framed very much as a you know we have to be bigger, faster, stronger, and then we think we will be in year two. Stilly was a representation of like player hearing coach say that and being like, okay, I mean he's two eighty eight and just ridiculous build. Yeah. He looked, he looked like he was very uncomfortable. Like, he like somebody asked him like, "How much do you have to eat to to do that?" And he like couldn't even put a number on it. Like, I should be eating right now. <laughs> this is I'm, this I'm is losing weight as this we is, speak. <laughs> he also had a um, his Music City Bowl T-shirt, which I appreciated. Kevin Suits tweeted something that that seemed like about nine years ago, and it does. <laughs> like, it really seems like a long, long, long time ago. It was Gar- uh, December of 2016, right? Yeah. The yeah. Garrett Johns was leading a stretch holding a hot chicken title belt. <laughs> yeah. He beat the – that's what they – they beat Tennessee in that. Yeah, that was the one thing they won. That we, <laughs> BC wasn't even part of our team at that point. He no, wasn't. It wasn't. It was just a glimmer in our eye. Yeah. <laughs> we were taught – we were friendly, though. Sure. We, well, yeah, we, we went to went, Whiskey we Kitchen. We went to dinner a couple times, so. though. Oh, Whiskey Kitchen. Good place in Nashville. So here's something I picked <laughs> up that was interesting to me from the the inside linebackers. We didn't get into it with Rude as much, but mm. um, Colin Miller was up there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sorry, it's just instinctive. Colin Miller was up there, and he was talking about kind of where he's at with things. He's going to be a guy that I have written off probably too much he's going to be involved. I mean, there's, it's a great opportunity for him this spring with Will Honus still on the shelf, Nick Henrich, a little slowed Jackson, Hannah still in Tennessee. Colin Miller has the opportunity to take that spot right next to Mo Berry. He's basically trying to spend as much time around Barry, learn as much as he can from Barry. But he was saying the hard thing about the transition he's had to make from the outside to the inside is really to be an inside linebacker. You have to know what everybody else in that, the other 10 guys are doing, or the other nine, I guess, if you will, because you have to communicate generally with your half of the field. You have to know where everyone's supposed to be, and you have to do this relatively fast. And so when we're talking about a defense that has to go against Nebraska's offensive tempo, you have to process that information, get it out very quickly, and do this all you know, extremely fast so that people can understand, communicate, because it's not just you to them and it's done. It's also them to the other people in their position group, them to the safeties if it's the corners and the safety. It's very interesting how much goes into being an inside linebacker in this defense. And Miller said that it took him a long time to get comfortable with that last fall. He thinks he's finally there now. And I think if you believe in the narrative that when a guy can get comfortable, it's when he he fully has a grasp on his role and he's able to then speak it out. I think Colin Miller might be a guy that's going to play pretty free and easy this spring. And if he does, that inside linebacker unit might be better off for it because he's still pretty well physically built. He's also a pretty instinctive, smart guy too. So I, I came away from that conversation and I'm hoping to get a story up on the board sometime this weekend about Colin Miller and the inside linebackers thinking, They've got more options than just relying on one of those freshmen or hoping Will Honus comes back healthy. And they might be deeper than I than I would have guessed at inside linebacker. Hmm. Yeah, I if I had to predict who would start game one, I would say Miller and Barry. But 
I mean, I think it'll get interesting when Honus comes back and fully back, I guess, whatever he's doing now, I don't know. But uh, it was tough for Colin because he was an outside or he was an end, and then he was he an outside back. So it's, it, I feel bad for those guys sometimes where they just get moved around, and it feels like their careers kind of time runs out quickly on them. And, um, but I would, I would bet on him because he's he's a, actually when he has played, he's a very active, active guy who makes things happen, and he does that on special teams too. So I, I think it'll translate over there. But we learned a lot. On Tuesday, I really think. Yeah, it honestly was probably one of the better spring press conferences I can remember. Honestly, maybe one of the better press events I can remember. So that's good. Maybe the best there's ever been, huh? I don't know if it's the best there's ever been, but certainly in the it's up there. The pantheon of bad media events, it's hurtling a bunch of. Brunson and I are getting ready to go to maybe one of the best pro days ever. Yeah, I, I'm excited for you guys. Stopwatch. Pat the Cardinals the hat on. I got a Carolina Hurricanes hat on. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what your hat was earlier, and I yeah. realized that it was a uh, a darkened version of their normal. I was joking with Bronze. I could take somebody aside who's having a tough day and maybe be like, son, your future's in hockey. You know? <laughs> How do you feel about being a goon? <laughs> Can you skate? Is there anybody? You walk in and someone's like, oh, David Neville's already graduated, sir. Aside from the Ozigbo show... If we want to hit on this quick, is there anything you guys are uh, – a guy you think could uh, surprise? What, what's Stan going to do today? Is he going to run? Is he going to – Why would he do anything? I don't know if he should run or not. I thought his time was really good yeah. for him. I was blown away by those numbers. I mean, I was gone over the weekend, and someone sent them to me, and I could not – like his vertical was higher than I would have guessed. His 40 was faster than I would have guessed. His broad jump number was great. And I guess he did really well in the drills too. I think if, if you're him – Maybe all you do is you you go through the drills, and yeah. just just because you have more, you have a more captive audience. Maybe you can do the bench. Yeah, you only put up twelve, which I thought was you did fourteen. Was it fourteen? Yeah, it was twelve. Okay. Uh, here, here's a how how many uh, reps is Divine going to do on the bench today? Was he lifter of the year at one point? He was. Oh, that's tough. Um, Eighteen. Twenty-one. I was going to say 25. Oh, that'd be oh, great. I'm a low guy. Man, he, there was a picture of him the other day, not to be that guy, but dude looks like the Hulk now. Mm-hmm. So he's taking over for Imani Cross is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. He looked he, – it was very similar. Um, I I think I, – I think he's going to put on a show, actually, but maybe I'm wrong. I bet Luke Gifford has a good day today. He's a guy that seems like would do well in – a pro day type setting. I don't think he's going to get drafted, uh, but he's going to sign somewhere, be a camp guy. Yeah. Do they? How many guys get drafted? Do you, do you think they get two picked this year? I think Stanley for sure. Now I don't. I don't know on Divine, but for sure one. Stanley went from a guy that I thought was going to be around six picked to maybe could be a day two. You thinking Rick Spielman's going to be? He's seen him a lot. The Vikings do need another receiver, Brian. Yeah, they do. Um, Assuming they don't trade for Antonio Brown this week. I think there'll be two pick. Uh, it's the obvious two. Ozigbo and Morgan. I think Morgan, I'll still say like round five for Morgan, and Ozigbo is probably like around six guy. But, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what he puts up today. Yeah. But 
We will. The Cardinals will be watching closely. Yeah. You, there's, I want to see you make like awkward, uh, like a eye contact with the actual want, Cardinals guy who's in town. I want to give <laughs> oh, they you, say you here? I, was, I, I thought. I want to give you the iPad that I have sitting on the table right now so you can just like hold it up yeah. and pretend like you're in a FaceTime with Cliff Kingsbury. Yep. You're just showing him what uh, what's happening. Go, go over and touch the other Cardinal scout on the shoulder and say, yeah, Cliff wanted us to take a closer look here. He sent two of us. <laughs> what are you doing here? You're supposed to be at Northern Iowa. <laughs> tell me you've got the Nebraska-Iowa-Missouri region now. Yeah. Oh, he didn't tell you? You're cut. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to just drive this thing home in usual or, car crash fashion. Or off the cliff, one of the two. You can catch all of what we just talked about will be written up but and more put detail. on the uh, Husker 24-7 website where we've had a ton of articles go up already. We're going to be busy throughout the weekend. Uh, there's recruiting stuff going on. We didn't get into it in the podcast, but Nebraska had Roger Rosengarten in, uh, top 100 player, offensive tackle, Valor Christian lineman, friends, former teammates with Luke McCaffrey, had a great visit. And you can get the full update there. You can learn about how Scott Frost enjoys The Bachelor. And that was surprising news for me. I'm, I'm disappointed no one addressed it with him I yesterday. Do, I do too, actually. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, well, yeah. Or we could just skip it, really. Next week. If, if we're being honest. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you can ask BC about The Bachelor on the message board, too. Yeah. You can ask any of us questions. That's part of the beauty of it. But, as always, you can find all of that stuff at Husker 24-7.